My name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the campus pastor here. So if this is your first time here, welcome. I've been gone for several weeks, so this is my first time back in a while. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you. But we are kicking off a new series today called Light in the Darkness, in case you missed that, that creepy intro, all right? But, but seriously, over the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with some really, um, some, some heavy topics um, over this month, um, topics that hit close to home, I think for all of us, topics like uh, suicide and uh, mental illness, uh, chronic illness, anxiety. And these are topics that, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever heard a church really tackle um, specifically. Um, and, and it's a little intimidating um, that we're, we're talking about these things. And I'll tell you, it's intimidating because, well, first of all, it's very personal. E- e- either for, for each of us knows someone who suffers uh, uh, you, you know, from, from one of these things, or, or, or perhaps you do, yourself. And, and there's so much wrapped up in it. There's a lot of emotion wrap, wrapped up in it. There's a lot of, of physical realities and clinical realities wrapped up in it. There's a lot of, it's very spiritual also. And we got to deal, we got to deal with that. And to be honest with you, when this came up a year ago, a little over a year ago, our teaching team sat down and we said, they said that we wanted to do a series um, called Light in the Darkness. We want to hit these issues. I was completely outvoted. I didn't want to do it. All right? I didn't want to stand up here and talk about the things that we're talking about this month. Um, I lost that vote. And then to pour like, salt on the wound, they waited until I got back to start the series, like the week I got back. It couldn't have been one in July where I wasn't here. Um, I, I just didn't want to have to deal with it because I didn't know how to deal with it. And I think that's really true for all of us when it comes to these topics I just said. Like, we don't really know what to say. And sometimes we don't know really what to feel about these things. We don't want to touch it. We might want to pretend that it's just not there, right? Maybe you love or you care for someone who, who, who has struggled with this. Maybe you yourself have. And sometimes it's just easier just to pretend it's not even a reality, right? We don't know what to say to it. And we don't know how these things interact with our faith. We all know. But today, and really I hope it's, this is woven through kind of the fabric of the conversations that we have over the next few weeks, is, is this reality. I encourage you to write it down in your program, because this is where we want to land at the end of the, the day, is that Jesus is the answer to our deepest longing. Now that sounds really simplistic. But if I look at Jesus' words as it's recorded for us, all right, in the Bible, those who knew him best recorded his words, and then they themselves will say it about him too. And that is, he is all we need. He is life. He is light. He's it. And so if he says that about himself, and then those people, those guys who knew him best, write it and say that about him, like that begs us to pay attention. That Jesus is the answer to our deepest longing. Look what Matthew says in his biography of Jesus' life. It's in Matthew chapter 9. Listen to what he says in verse 35. He says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. In fact, what, what you can find in a dozen or more other places throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the guys who wrote a narrative of Jesus' life, you will find that Jesus healed often. Jesus traveled from place to place, and you saw it right here, Matthew tells us in this instance, right, that Jesus was concerned with physical healing. He was healing diseases and illnesses all the time, so it seems. He was very concerned 
about healing. And so today, specifically today, we're going to be talking about chronic illness. And to give you a definition of what a chronic illness is, it is an illness that someone suffers from for three months or more, where there is no vaccine, generally, that can prevent it, and there is no medication or surgery you can have that can heal it. Generally speaking, that's a chronic illness. And you know someone who has one. You yourself may struggle from one. And in the first century, in Jesus' time, people who struggled with chronic illness or disease, they struggled through many of the same things 2,000 years ago that, that you might if you suffer from a chronic illness or if you care about someone who does. They ask the same questions, questions like, why? Or more specifically, why me? Or why this? Now, in the first century, especially in Jewish culture, some of the answers might be some people believed that they suffered from illness because of someone in their past, a family member had sinned. A parent, so you can blame your parents for a lot of things, and this was, this was one of them, right? Mom or dad or grandma and grandpa had sinned, right? And so it caused this ripple effect of punishment, and so, so they could blame someone for the illness they had. They really believed that, right? Some people believe it was something that they themselves did. You can't blame your mom. You can't blame your dad. You can't blame grandma. You did something to offend God, or you didn't do something right religiously, spiritually, and so God has punished you. He's given you this disease or this illness. But they're all, we're all asking the same question. Is what's God up to in this thing? What's he up to here? And whatever the reason, you're sick. And in the first century, as it does today, that separates you from people who aren't sick, doesn't it? Now, in the first century, depending on the illness, you could be kicked out of the synagogue. You weren't allowed to worship in your faith community. In some instances, you were kicked out of your home. If you had certain illnesses, you weren't even welcome in your home. You were sent out to be homeless or to live in a colony of other people who were like you. And even today, though maybe that doesn't happen, at least in our Western culture, you still deal with shame or, or maybe guilt, isolation, and anger. I mean, you, you know, if, if you suffer from a chronic illness or you know someone who does, you know, there, there are maybe some days you could label as good or maybe days you could label as bad. And, and there are some days of self-denial, like this isn't even a real thing, right? Or I can walk in a place like here at church, or I can walk to school, I can go into work and paint a smile on my face and say that everything's okay. But at the end of the day, this disease, this illness, it does not go away. So I've invited um, a friend of mine, Kay McKinney, to come out and, and share with you uh, today. And Kay's a good friend of, of my family. Her, she and her family attend here at the Ross campus. Um, so sometimes she helps lead worship up here. So maybe um, she looks familiar to you, but, um, but she's kind of up here today and, and kind of sharing something different with you, um, something a little bit more vulnerable and, and personal. Kay um, has, for the last several years, suffered from multiple sclerosis, also known as MS. 
Um, and so I've asked her to be here this morning with us, to, with you, to, to talk a little bit about that journey. And, and she's going to share some of that with you um, this morning. But to, before we get to that, I thought maybe you could introduce um, yourself, maybe tell us about your family, um, you know, what you do for a living, and kind of start out there. Sure, definitely. Um, just this past Thursday, Steve and I celebrated our 21st anniversary. Yeah, happy anniversary. <laughs> wow. And we're still alive to tell. <laughs> and um, our oldest son, Owen, is 14. He's about to start high school here in a couple weeks. And then our daughter, Mia, is 10. She'll be 11 in October, and she's starting the middle school. So we just said goodbye to elementary, which was really sad. sad. I know. That's sad. Yeah. We're going to have to do a session on that one, I think. Yeah. Just grieving through that. Absolutely. Collaborate together. <laughs> But yes, I work, um, I'm a licensed counselor in the state of Ohio, so I've worked in the mental health field since 2002. Um, I did go to undergrad at Cincinnati Bible College, when it was called Cincinnati Bible College, and um, from 95 to 99, and then 99 to 02, I got my Master's of Arts in Counseling from the seminary uh, there. So, Great. so you've been um, in that field then for? 17 years. 17 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. very good. I am very that good. old. Yeah, yeah, well... So am I. So. I'm older than you. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll give you that. Um, you know, a lot of people have probably heard of MS, right? Um, but like me, um, I really don't know much about it. Like, I've really never asked many questions about it. So maybe to start, you could just kind of share with us, um, what is multiple sclerosis? Sure. It's an autoimmune disorder. Um, and some of the doctors kind of disagree on the source and... Uh, genetics and um, and what actually um, how it actually transpires. Some people say it's B cells in your immune system. Some people say it's T cells in your immune system. But really, what they do is attack the myelin that's in your central nervous system. And how it was described to me was like an electrical cord. There's the plastic that goes around it. That's the myelin sheath of your. That's like uh, the metaphor for your myelin sheath and the. B cells or T cells attack that myelin sheath and make holes in it that are called lesions because they decided to make the scariest word. Absolutely. Uh, Did that. they play that music when they described yeah, that to you? I think video? so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> when the uh, immune system is attacking the myelin sheath and makes those holes, then your nervous system on your brain um, and on your spinal cord the nerves in your body kind of misfire. They um, cause all sorts of different kind of symptoms for each individual person, just depending on where in your spinal cord or on your brain uh, the, the lesions are happening. So it's, it's things like um, muscle movement, uh, muscle spasms, pain, balance, uh, tingling, numbness. Uh, so anything sensory. Sometimes it's loss of vision. That's how someone knows that they're diagnosed. They just lose vision in one eye. Thankfully, that never happened to me, or double vision, things like that. Okay, um, okay. Just all sorts of problems. Sounds okay. fun. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate educating us a little bit. Um, so I thought maybe, you know, to, to continue on, maybe you could tell us a little bit of the, just some of the physical realities for you as you have um, been diagnosed. How, how long? It was uh, September 1st, 2006 when I got the official diagnosis, but I started having symptoms, as a lot of women do, childbearing years. Um, my son was born in 2005, and I have relapsing and remitting MS, so what happens is a symptom will come, 
and then stay with you for about a month and then relent. So, and, and then to make it even more fun, it changes every time. So it's not the same symptom every time. It's, it's different. So that's why it was difficult to diagnose where I, in the beginning, because I just had a baby, I was writing a lot of it off to like my body's just being weird and um, hormonal or I, I never experienced it before. So I, I just kind of in my own mind just wrote it off that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you didn't go to the doctor right away, right? No. Because that was your first baby, right? Right. So you don't know. You don't know what to expect from that. But it has had some, some physical realities for you. Definitely. And like you said, it's different for, for everybody. But um, maybe you could just share a little bit with us about some of those physical realities that MS, the way it's impacted you. Sure. Yeah, the, um, the, pretty much you could draw a line down the center of my body, and the right side always feels some kind of nerve pain. So mostly from my shoulder blade down my arm or my sciatic nerve down my leg. And then my left side likes to go numb. It, um, I have trouble holding on to items when it's at its worst, or when I'm at its worst walking, I have to visibly look and see my foot hitting the ground and my leg lifting it back up because I just can't feel either motion. Uh, so psychologically, when I look, it, it just helps me to be able to, uh, yeah, just know that I'm making contact with the ground. Um, so that's, that's definitely when it's at its worst to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you had, um, maybe you could go into a little bit of, of the, the story, you know, when it, when it comes to how physically affected you. Um, you had a, a steroid, um, you had a uh, allergic reaction, yeah. I guess. Um, so can you tell us about that story? Because that just kind of compounded the pain that MS already causes you. Right, yes. Can you share a little bit of that story with us? Because it was, yeah, there's two sides of my physical reality where the disease itself and the ramifications of the lesions. Most of my lesions are on my spinal cord, my C and T, people know, medical field, uh, spinal cord. I have about three or four uh, foci on my brain, so it it doesn't affect um, my brain as much as some other people. Um, But Yes, when, um, when I had a flare-up after having my daughter, because I had decided to, um, obviously I can't be on medication when I'm pregnant, didn't want to be a part of that case study to see if it was clear <laughs> to be on while you're pregnant, um, but I decided to breastfeed, so I was off of the medicine for even about nine months after delivery, and that's when the immune system is, is at its hardest, because during pregnancy, it does give a little bit of protection your immune system lowers so it's kind of a natural protection during the pregnancy and it's after uh, pregnancy that's the hardest Um, so I was in a flare-up stopped stopped breastfeeding um, but the protocol is to give a steroid and um, the one that I was given was named solumedrol it's where the home health nurse came out and gave me three days of intravenous um, steroids and it was about I think it was a thousand milligrams um, and a month later, my liver started to fail. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to have that reaction, but pretty much the liver enzymes and the bilirubin levels, I, I can only remember the bilirubin levels um, specifically. I know like uh, some of the liver enzymes are supposed to be like at four, in the 40s and 50s, and they were in the thousands, but the bilirubin was supposed to be only 0.1 to 1.2 in your blood, and my at its highest that I remember was 35. Wow. So um, dealing with that and 
about six weeks it took to um, pretty much we didn't do anything. We just let the liver, which is an amazing <laughs> organ, regenerate itself. So I declined. I um, had horrible, I jaundiced. Um, there was I, a rash from head to toe and um, just felt awful all the time. I, I pretty much was bedridden for about six weeks. I had to, you know, cancel my schedule and at the time, I wasn't seeing a lot of people because I just had a baby, but um, I had declined and then eventually come back out of it. Uh, so the, my liver basically healed itself by regenerating. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so then tell us about 2017, because you had a really bad year yes. in 2017. Right. Yeah, to maybe share a little bit about that with us. So I thought that... Putting a drug on your do not give list meant it was on your do not give list. <laughs> so, it's logical. Yeah. Uh, at the end of 16, there was two rounds of medication that I took. Rebif was first. Um, at the time, there was only an injectable option for MS patients. You had to either give a subcutaneous shot or an intramuscular shot. And I sh- chose the subcutaneous shot because... Yeah, intramuscular the other one sounds, sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah, that sounds horrible. But I had to... Um, change from that one to the new oral medication, but both of them, just the side effects were really intolerable. Um, So by the end of 2016, I was at that level where I had to watch myself walking. I couldn't grip um, anything, silverware, anything that was normal with with my left hand, and my right side was just inflamed in that that kind of nerve pain. Mm. Uh, So I was excited about going on this newer medication. Well, newer to me, it's actually... It was developed 20 years ago, um, so I kind of felt really confident about the lack of side effects. Um, mm. And it, it's in an infusion form, so I had to go into um, the Barrett Cancer Center, actually, and get the infusions uh, four times a year. But I was excited in 17 because of ha- having all these symptoms. I thought, like, this could be the one that's, that's working the best because the other two were T cells. This one was a B cell. Okay. So... Um, but with that, they have to give you pre-medicines with any infusion. So there was Tylenol, there was Benadryl, and the steroid. And then you know where the story's going. I asked the nurse. I said, okay, what's, what's the name of the steroid you're giving me? And she said, methylprednisolone. And I thought, okay, that's not solumedrol, so I think I'll be okay. Well, <laughs> I should have known better. I work in the mental health field with you know, antidepressant drugs. that all have two names. Anti-anxieties all have two names. So what ended up happening was methylprednisolone is actually also the same thing as solumedrol. So they gave me a tenth of what they gave me in 2009, but my liver still started to fail. Um, The enzymes uh, were still pretty high, but my bilirubin stayed. So I didn't jaundice, and I I did have a rash in my torso, so it didn't, like, head to toe. So I, I still... Went to work. I still saw my clients. I still, <laughs> wow. Because I, yeah, just that stubborn. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I still tried to go on with life. Um, but it was, oh, just such a hit to my emotions that year. I shut into myself. I, um, you know, I'm always, I, and I was, I think I was because of the circumstances growing up was the kind of person who just did things on your own. So when this happened to me, I think the, I mean, the lie that I determined came out of that year was that I was meant to suffer. Like that, 
you know, the whole years, maybe even a decade before this happened, like, I, I don't think I ever felt that as strongly as mm. this year. So that was the lie that, in my opinion, was the enemy trying to say, you were meant to suffer. These, because the doctor missed it, the pharmacist missed it. It's like, you have one job, dude. Yeah. And yeah. then the nurse missed it. Like, three levels of, like, top-notch care that missed it. Yeah. And I thought, like, where's the target on my head? You know, I yeah. thought this, this other thing was going to uh, just be the only time I had experienced this liver failure. So, again, my liver, though, declined and, and came back out of it. Um, and, you know, for that, but that year I, I did, I was in a really rough spot, like, but I did have a lot of talks with God about how I felt and how sad I was. And, and I even cut out singing, which is like, yeah, that's a big deal yeah. <laughs> um, to do that for me. Um, and to be able, that's why a couple of weeks ago when I said the story about like, when I'm singing this song now, it is well at big acceptance of what that, what happened but I just wasn't ready that year and because I'm a full believer and there's time for everything. And we don't give ourselves enough time to feel what we need to feel. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I think that's, that's an incredible truth. Um, so maybe you kind of started going into, so share with us a little bit more about how MS has impacted you emotionally. Like I, th- I think we have a snapshot that we can't really understand physically, kind of just the, the physics of it. But... Um, but maybe you can share with us just emotionally how that has impacted you, especially that year, I guess. Maybe. Yes, definitely. Um, well, I think throughout the whole process, like because I had my training as a therapist before this, I was so young. It was, I was 21, 22, 23 uh, when I was going through the heart of like knowing and learning how to validate and express and give permission to rough emotions that was going to be my job i was going to help other people walk through that so it it just never ceases to amaze me how quick people are to villainize their own emotion like anxiety anger sadness things are like normal emotions things that christ himself felt Mm. and it's documented like my god my god why have you forsaken me i mean if that's not anxiety and sadness, I don't know what it is, you know? That's right. So I think, like, we, we need to do a better job at just separating the difference between an emotion and an action out of an emotion. They're two different things, in my opinion, where the feeling itself is not the enemy. It's actually a normal human response to something that's happening to you. And mm-hmm. to let yourself feel that and be, you know, give that permission, even though it is, it, believe me, I know, rough to do that, to breathe through that. But that's where I feel like God really wants to meet you in those places. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I would not really heard it that way before. Um, because you're right. I, I think, uh, you know, as, I mean, all of us, right, we, we love or we care for someone who has a chronic illness at some level, you know, but... But then there's some who, who have an illness or, or themselves. And you're right, there's those emotions that we villainize. You know, like, well, you shouldn't feel that way. And if you do, you should feel badly about that, right? <laughs> and, and then those of us who are, like, caring for someone, you know, we don't want to show a sadness, 
right, or anger, and we struggle with that because we're like, well, that would be inappropriate or that would be defeating for them, you know, and so, so I think for all of us, there's that villainization of some of these emotions and we don't know what to do with it. Exactly, yeah. right, but if I, I couldn't, after 13 years, talk to you sanely if I was trying to suppress negative feelings, like, because I, I feel them every day. They wave in and out. When I'm in the counseling chair and I'm, I'm feeling that pain, I, like, I have to say and use my mindfulness techniques of going, everything is in this moment, this is an all of the above moment, that it's not, one doesn't get top billing over the other or cancel each other out. I can be thankful and I can be anxious at the same time. And it's not sinful to do that. But it's, it's actually what, God, what Christ himself did. Lord, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But if not my will, then yours be done. But in that beginning of the sentence is what I'm talking about, that he himself like, was so honest. That's what it, I mean, honesty and awareness are our best friends when it comes to emotion. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. And, and you're right, it's a... Jesus gives us a picture of that, how those things live together at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. wow, that's, that's really good. Uh, well, it's not, but it is. Yeah, I know, it's, it's freeing. I, I think it's freeing. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, normalize it. Yeah. Um, so I, you're just taking some time to share with us a little bit of how MS has worked physically on you. Um, emotionally, and, and one of the things I think that we, I think that many of us are um, acutely aware of is that um, there's probably a spiritual side of that. Those of us who have faith, I mean, and even those of us who don't have faith, who don't really necessarily claim Jesus as your Savior, there is a spiritual side to it that we wonder about. And so I, I think coming from you would be really important. Um, you know, what's the spiritual impact that MS has had on you, and, and how does Jesus interact with MS? Yeah, and I think, I think the short answer to that is he doesn't, in my opinion, deal with my MS. He deals with me and my heart. Mm. And um, the, I, I think about like healing, the word healing. Obviously, that's going to come up when you're talking about any illness, but especially a chronic one. That, you know, I think of, of God and his experience with the world and healing as in three sections of time. So it's God trying to establish who he is. So, of course, he has to be direct in actions that he takes with people. Same thing with Christ. While he's here, he's taking very direct actions with people. Um, but, like, his change is a little bit more in terms of, like, relationship because some of the stories that you read, it's just fascinating to me that he, he's, he's asking people who are blind and uh, have other afflictions, what would you like me to do for you? And I just find that, <laughs> I find that brilliant that he wants people to be, he wants their voice to be a part of the, the conversation, their um, you know, opinions and ideas about what they should be having or what they want. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other phrase that, that came to mind with another healing story, uh, the man who was paralyzed by the pool, um, do, you, uh, do you want to get well, is what he asks him. When you're thinking like, pretty obvious, you know. <laughs> um, but it led me to think about, like, healing in terms of maybe we're boxing him into this one option. 
like that I'm only considering healing if he takes the disease away. And once I started thinking about like, well, what other ways then if, if I have, I ha have I been healed? Because I think like now we're in the time of the Holy Spirit, like, and it is, he is the intercessor for us. So I went back and looked at specifically like the Lord's Prayer in a very de detailed way of saying like, when Christ is talking and saying, not uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm thinking like, we have to ask for the, his will to be a part of our world. That it's not just a given, that it's us being, that's another part of us being involved in, in the whole process. Mm. But, um, and, I, and I also thought of, with that, uh, the, what are we holding God responsible for? And I, I think with, within like um, a long time ago even, I, I think even before 2017, I thought, well, the thing that I hold God responsible for, he did for me with salvation on the cross. Like that, that was the, the one thing he had to do for me. Mm. <laughs> and he already did it. And then when I did start to expand this idea of healing in, in different ways, I thought, I, I am, you know, being healed, but not with regard to the disease being taken away. That I am opening myself up to um, other people, because I was such a very do-it-by-yourself kind of person, very stubborn, very in individual. I thought that I had, I thought that I had to do it that way. There was definitely things within my upbringing that informed that. I was raised by a, a, a father who had an undiagnosed uh, mental disorder, a very intense personality disorder, and so therefore my mother kind of took the forefront and did everything. So we were kind of raised hands-off, and not in terms of like food or clothing or things sure. like that, but emotionally, we, we were left to fend for ourselves, my sister and I. So we, um, you know, that, that I experience healing in such a different way because I can actually directly ask people for what I need. That's the thing. People do that. <laughs> I didn't know that. I had to learn that. Like I, I would, I would tell that to my clients and other people. But I, in my emotional life, I thought, I'm the helper. I have to. <laughs> right. I'm the one that helps other people. I'm not. I'm not the one that receives help. Um, mm. So it's been very healing to allow people to love me, allow people to, yeah, give me what I need, and then to hear my own voice say what I need, and and. I know it sounds like anticlimactic other than like taking the disease away. That's the, the better testimony, I guess. But um, yeah, that, that, those were the lessons I needed to learn, like self-care. Mm. That, that was also the, a really big healing moment that I take care of myself. What? Who does yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, when we were talking on the phone the other day, you had mentioned one of the ways that you've seen God heal you in the midst of MS is through some of the fruits of the Spirit, you know, we see in, in, in the New Testament. Um, can you, you elaborate for, you know, a moment on that? I mean, how you've seen God heal you by providing other things for you? Well, I think, I mean, that's, that's the, the key, I think, of God's connection to us now is that we, we build into the, like, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, general, you know, like all the, all the, um, the nuances of what we know. Um, if we're growing in those things, then then I 
I think that's the, the, the point of him you know, existing in our lives, uh, that those become at the forefront and, and that my faith isn't based on you know, the things that do or don't happen to me, um, but you know, that I can still develop my, um, my understanding of those, those fruits of the Spirit and, be, and still be enacting and living my life even with the disease. No, I think that that, that does. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate so much that you, at least for me, and I don't know about for you, I mean, just to kind of redefine what it means to ask God for healing. Like, we, we expect it in just this one form, God, and if you don't show up, I guess the answer is no. But there's like this, this immeasurable number of ways that he wants to speak into us and provide healing for, for broken things in our spirits. Um, that he's ready to do. And we don't really ask for that very often. Right, yes. So I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Can we just thank Kay very much for being here? Thank you very much. I want to um, look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 again. We just read it before Kay came out, and I would like to read it one more time. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. What do you notice about that? What was Jesus' primary goal in coming? It was teaching. It was saying to everybody, the kingdom of God is arriving. That you don't have to meet God in a tabernacle tent anymore You don't have to have a high priest walk into a temple and make a sacrifice for you. That the creator of the universe is coming personally. That he's he's very near to you. He's very close. He's walking with you. And, and, And to have God close by, yeah, Jesus, there was some time in certain instances and with certain people that he did physically heal. But it was only to point to something that was a much, much greater reality. Jesus' healing was to show compassion and generosity, but it was also to point you and I to a greater truth. And that is that he heals our heart's deepest longing. You see, our heart's deepest longing, and Kay was up here saying, it, it, it would be great to be healed from MS. But our heart's deepest longing is to be reunited with our Father. And that's what Jesus came to do. And right now, you know, this side of heaven, there was a sin that has infected our lives and has separated us from a relationship with God. And Jesus saw our deepest desire, our deepest heart's need, was to be reconnected with our Heavenly Father. And so that's why he came and died on the cross, so that could happen for us. I love how John, in the message version of the Bible, in John chapter 1, listen to this with me because I think it says it so beautifully. It says the word, being Jesus, was first. The word present to God, God present to the word. The word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and life was the light to live by. The light life blazed out of the darkness, the darkness couldn't put it out. And that's the reality for those of us who are in Jesus. 
And that's the reality of the message that those of us who know Jesus carry out to the relationships that we have. And that is that this body, this body might be limited, but my heart has been made new. That there is this light life that Jesus described that just blazes through the darkness. So that Jesus looks at us and, and, and the truth is like, right, you, do, you may have MS, but it does not have you. Like you may have diabetes, but you are not a diabetic. Right? You may care for and love someone who, is, who has a chronic illness, but you have been called not to care with compassion only, but with this care, this deep concern for their hearts, which is renewable and savable. That this disease may be attacking a body, but the war for your heart has already been won, and it's been won by your Heavenly Father. So whatever causes you pain or leads you down a dark path this week, in this season, Jesus has, all at the same time, healed that, your deepest need. He is in the midst, right now, of healing. And he is working on one day healing it forever. And that is the promise of your heavenly father. On the cross, he heals. So if you were here, I see it in his word. Whatever darkness attacks you, he would say, that's not you. You are not your pain. You are not your illness. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I'm your dad. And I love you very much. And there's nothing that can separate you from my love. And that reality has limitless possibilities for your healing. And our Heavenly Father is desperate to heal you. And maybe not in the way that you think. I think if Jesus were here, he'd say, do you know how deeply my father delights in you? And that delight and that life that you have in him will take you down a bright path of freedom and hope. So here's what I want us to do. On our time of reflection, just to sit and and be here, and Brooke's going to, to sing a song, and you're welcome to jump in and sing with her or listen to its words. As our Heavenly Father reminds us that we are not our circumstances. We are not our pain. We are not our dark places. That we are the sons and daughters of a very good father. And when you let him answer the the deepest longing of your heart, he will. He will. So as you sit and you just consider that, consider giving that to him. As Brooke sings and we sing with her, when you're ready, you can make your way out of your seats and we have communion stations in the front and the back. And down there are symbols of Jesus' body and his blood, broken for you and me, so that we can live new life as sons and daughters, healed from the thing that aches our hearts the most. So when you're ready, you can come and celebrate that meal with us today.